It was several years ago in Long Beach, California. Uh, a fellow went into Kentucky Fried Chicken and got him and his date some chicken dinners. And the young woman at the counter inadvertently had given him overage in change, $800 worth of overage in change, unknowingly. And so after driving to their picnic site, he opened up the bag, enjoying their KFC together. They discovered a whole lot more than chicken. But he was an unusual guy. He drove back, put the money back in the bag, got back into the car. And Mr. Clean, as he appeared, walked in and became an instant hero. The manager said, whew, so glad you came back. We didn't know where it had gone. I want you to know that you're our hero. As a matter of fact, we're going to call the newspapers. We're going to take pictures, and we're going we're to invite the mayor to come. So you can see, he was thrilled to death, and the guy goes, oh, no, 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 don't do that. See, she's not my wife. See, some people can fool you. And what we see in today's passage is that we can't ever fool God. And God calls his people to be authentic followers of Christ as he is making Abraham such a person, as well as Sarah and all the people of God. I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. If you're visiting with us, you can find it in the back of the bulletin. But we're in a series entitled Abraham, A Call to Faith. And what we have is a continuation of the narrative of a conversation that Abraham is having with God, whose name is God Almighty, El Shaddai. For the very first time in the Bible, that, that term God uses for himself. Because he's exposing himself as such. Because Abraham is 99 years old, and Sarai is 89, and they are still childless. And God has now changed Abram into Abraham, the father of a multitude. And he's given the sign of the covenant as circumcision for all the Jews and God's people to symbolize a spiritual commitment to God. For that's what it always meant. And a reminder that covenants are always solemnized through blood and through pain. Every follower of God must go through that operation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, and our Lord Jesus all underwent that painful, bloody act. But it's an enduring, an irrevocable act of the nature of the covenant that we have with God. And for God's people, it's an act of repentance and total dependence upon God. And so in today's passage, it continues... And the covenant is given with great specificity as we have new names, covenant obedience, and what we will see is the circumcision that only Jesus can give his people. So first we have new names, covenant obedience, and the circumcision of Jesus. So first we have the new names and we have a name changed and a name given. So first we have Sarah's renaming. Verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. 
I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. The name Sarai meant princess. And the tweaking of her name also means princess. All along, she has been the princess. Because princesses have kings as fathers. But now, in Sarah, she would bear this child in old age. And the royal dynasty would come from her veins. And ultimately, the savior of the world would come from her veins. Abraham, the father of nations, has his princess, Sarah. And Abraham, I'm sure at this stage of the game, is just soaring. But notice where he is. He hasn't changed his posture, ladies and gentlemen, from last week. Where is he? Face down, right? That's where he is. And the covenant is declared to him. And his response Abraham fell on his face and laughed to himself. <laughs> Should a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Should Sarah, who's 90, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Properly. Abraham is down on his face before El Shaddai. It's a posture of deep respect. And as he lays there, I'm sure the old guy, as you would, just kind of laugh. It, it is. It's an inadvertent. <laughs> I'm going to have a baby. Yeah. I'm going to be a daddy. She's going to be 90. And I'm sure you're wondering, is this a lack of faith? Apparently not. As Abraham showed, or no, God had no disapproval of Abraham, as we will see next week in Genesis 18. When Sarah laughs. See, it's not Sarah's laughter which gives Isaac his name. It's Abraham's joyful, can't believe this is happening to me kind of laughter. And it implies that his nervous laughter was not a lack of faith. But it, his faith was pushed to the limit. Paul states it this way. In hope, he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Is anybody here almost 100? You know? I wish Alice was here. You know? Or when he considered barrenness of Sarah's room. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Romans 4, 18-21. You see, Abraham is believing God here. And he's laughing. And it's easy to believe in something that's far off, right? Oh, we have the hope of heaven. That's great. But when we're asked to believe that God will do a certain thing at a specific time, believing is more difficult. And Abraham is believing God at this time. So God responds appropriately by giving his son the name laughter. Verse 19, God said, no, your, your son's name, you're not going to transfer the name from the 13-year-old to this son. 
his name, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall be father of twelve princes. I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. At 90. And beginning with this birth, Isaac's existence in his family's life would be a reminder and expression of God's blessing and joy and laughter that God's done this to us. And a reminder to never cease keeping faith in God, even in old age. So that's the name changes. Let's look at the covenant obedience. Verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of the house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. In this covenant of circumcision, the Lord revealed himself as El Shaddai. God Almighty, who could do anything. Abram has become Abraham. Sarai has become Sarah, the princess. And together they would birth a royal line. Their yet-to-be-conceived son would be named Laughter, Isaac, as a sweet sign of their faith and struggle. And as I just read, Abraham believed and obeyed instantly. 99-year-old Abraham and every male in his household was circumcised. Ouch. It was the birth of God's chosen people. And ultimately, the church. But not all are saved. Just because they go through the circumcision. Even though they received this covenant sign, Ishmael received the sign, but as we will see in the chapters forthcoming, there's never any evidence of God's grace in his life. Although he bore the sign of the covenant, Ishmael would ultimately remain part of God's covenant people. It doesn't seem that there's much fruit bearing from Ishmael. But on this day, there's obedience. There's renaming, naming, blood, pain, and probably a little laughter, even before the operation and after, among God's people, because God's doing a wonderful thing, and you can't fake that. And third, what we see in this story is a circumcision of Jesus, and from this line would come Jesus Christ. The one who would come and live perfectly unto God Almighty. Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death 
we should have died. And he went, underwent the ultimate circumcision. So that we might receive the circumcision of the heart. Paul wrote to the Colossians, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, it was God's plan all along to have a circumcision of the heart. And that's exactly what happens to each and every one of us as we come to see this new and afresh in every gradual growing of our lives, dear friends. I'm going to invite up a dear friend to both all of us. Sherm, if you could come up here for a second, dear brother. Last fall, Sherm met the Lord in a new way. And he shared this story with me, and I want him to share it with you. Because if you remember, we stormed the gates of heaven with prayers. And he came out of that experience a renewed spiritually circumcised man, and I want you to hear his story. Either, either one. You want to go over there? That's fine. You can go over there. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I often uh, consider myself to be the other Sherman here at uh, Christ Church. But I'm, I'm glad to get the opportunity to come here uh, and talk to you today. Rector Gene Sherman has graciously agreed to let me offer my abbreviated testimony as to what has been happening in my life lately. It's my purpose to share this with you. I think about it as my spiritual journey. As you, most of you know, my wife Renata and I have been members of both uh, St. Barnabas or Christ Church for many years now. All through my life as a Christian, however, I've been hearing the word spirit or its synonym soul used frequently. From my youth on, I often wondered what it meant, but it's just one of those words that you think that everybody else understands as a matter of course. So you don't want to risk revealing your ignorance by asking about the meaning of it. You feel that it will, you'll be branded as stupid if you do. Foibles like this cause us to wander through life ignorant of the true meaning of this word. That's what happened to me until uh, I finally found myself with the time and the motivation that I needed in my otherwise too busy life to think about this question. This serious thinking or soul searching, if you will, 
is what eventually brought about both the physical and the spiritual type of healing of which I was so much in need. As students, we were taught to use the dictionary in order to learn the meaning of words. So that's what I did. I began my search for understanding, or what I like to call my spiritual journey, by consulting the dictionary. There I learned that spirits, aside from the alcoholic kind, uh, are de defined as that which is traditionally believed to be the vital principle or animating force within a living being or that which constitutes one's unseen, intangible being. That definition was all right as far as I went, as it went. But I, I wondered, what did the Bible have to say about this? A good starting point seemed to be Luke 12, 31, where it said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. That seemed to be pretty clear, except for one thing. I didn't know where the kingdom of God was. Where could I find it, I asked myself. Continuing on in Luke, I came to chapter 17, verse 21, where it told me, the kingdom of God is within you. At this point, the question became, how could I go within myself to find it? This, I slowly began to realize, could be accomplished only by sincere desire, prayer, and the deep concentration that should go with it. This realization led me to understand why practices like yoga and meditation enjoy such widespread appeal. They provide the kind of mental solitude that Jesus was talking about when he advised us to go into our closets when we pray and to shut the door. Now, what would I discover if I did go within myself was my next question. Would I enter the realm of angels, archangels, and all of the company of heaven or the so-called heavenly host? How can humans enter into this unknown spirit territory consciously, I ask myself. Now, the Bible tells us that God is a spirit and must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Then it goes on to tell us that we are created in God's image. That means that we must have some spiritual aspect in us as well. If you can accept the fact that we do, that leads us right into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40, where it tells us, among other things, that there are bodies celestial and bodies terrestrial. God is a spirit, the Bible tells us, and if we have a spiritual aspect as well, then it must be necessary 
to go within by using our body celestial, as a or as a dictionary calls it, our intangible, unseen being. This means that it's invisible and we can't see it. Even though we can't see it, however, and we may harbor some doubts about its existence, we must have faith that it actually does exist until it reveals itself, it sees fit to reveal itself to us somehow. Now, remember the story about the mustard seed. If you have as much faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could move mountains. And the story about the doubting Thomas, where Jesus said, blessed are you have seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. If God is a spirit, and if we have a spiritual aspect as well, then it must be necessary to go within by using our body celestial, as I've already mentioned. This is the whole gist of such Bible verses as 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And I can provide these later to anybody who doesn't get them but wants them. Ephesians 3.16 and Romans 7.22, where they talk about an interesting concept called our inner man. It's through this inner man that our contact with the kingdom of God can be made. However, please remember the fact that spirits are intangible, unseeing beings. Therefore, these beings have no physical or visible aspects. They operate in a purely spiritual, non-physical environment. This means that when they communicate, they do it by intuitive means. Thus, they talk to us by using what the Bible calls a small, still voice, as it were. This means that if we expect to receive their messages effectively, we have to develop an awareness of this type of communication. Don't forget that by definition, angels are actually messengers. As you pursue your individual spiritual journeys, they may prove to be somewhat different from what mine was. However, if you persist in yours, it's inevitable that somewhere along the way, you will encounter your inner man or your inner woman. In my case, this experience allowed me to be truly touched. <laughs> Excuse me, I am truly touched allowed me to be truly touched by God's healing love, exactly as taught by Jesus. As I wind down my sermon here this morning, I want to refer any of you who may still have doubts about the truth of what I am saying to one additional Bible passage. That passage is 1 Corinthians 2, verses 5 to 11, where it speaks not only of the hidden wisdom but it poses the question, 
For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is within him? Now, in conclusion, I just want to say one more thing. That is, may the Lord be with you, your outer man, and your spirit, your inner man. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, brother. I hope that you came across. You did, you did great. You did great. Thank you. Thank you. Sherm gave me the permission to wrap this up today just to, to make sure you guys understand. This was a quest he had done for years. And where did he go? Did you hear it? To the Word of God, consistent with the Word of God, with what he experienced in the world, of course. But what he's saying is, it's true. You know? He comes up to me after the annual meeting where we're, we're going to sing Lift High the We're singing Lift High the Cross, are we not, Brian, later on? All right, there's a, there's a line in there where in conquering ranks combined, talking about the angel spiritual warfare that's going on, and Sherman comes up to me, hey, 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 the conquering ranks combined, it's in there. Uh, you know, I wanted to say, yeah, you know, but look how... The Lord's touched him, dear friends. It's real. It's true. Jesus is risen. And we can trust this. And therefore, for us coming out of this text today, because Sarah has not heard from Abraham yet. She's just going to trust him at his word. Ladies, do you always trust your husband at his word? We're going to learn more about that next week. But the reality is, being a Christian, according to St. Paul, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation in Jesus Christ. Like Sherm. Galatians 6.15 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So therefore the question for each and every one of us this morning is, have we truly, Believed in this way. So many say, I believe, you know, I believe in Jesus or Jesus of my Jesus, as several of us have heard over the past few weeks with people we've dealt with. But really, there's no difference in their lives in the world. God calls for more than just belief, friends. Scripture is pretty clear that the demons believe, and look where they are. James says they tremble with fear at the mention of his name. See, true belief is more fuller described in the scriptures. It's understanding that God's grace changes everything in my life. Everything. That God has set me apart from the foundation of the world. From the beginning of time. Since before time. All right? It's an understanding that the Holy Spirit has taken my heart of stone and changed it to a heart of flesh, leaving me right before God. It's an understanding that Jesus has clothed me in his righteousness and given me his grace through his hard-wrought love and blood. And an understanding that repentance and belief go together. And he gives me his grace. And it's a gift from God. And the results of that 
are the fruit of Christian living. Without repentance, there is no salvation. And what happens is then all of a sudden you get a sense of awe, a sense of wonder. You hear text read that you've heard over and over and over, and all of a sudden, boom, a light bulb goes off, right? It doesn't happen overnight. It happens because you keep showing up, keep pressing play, and staying in the Word, loving my neighbors, getting to know my friends in this community. Because Paul says in Galatians 5, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So you walk down the aisle at a Billy Graham crusade, says St. Paul. So what? You were baptized. So what? I was confirmed. So what? Are you living out your Christian faith, working it out in love, in the present? Oh, those things are important. You need to be baptized. It's the first identification now of faith in Christ. It actually replaced circumcision in the new covenant. And it's, it's fine to give your life to Jesus, you know, in a call for decision. We, those are good things, but it's only life of faith, repentance and belief working out right now. Like we saw in Abraham. He didn't wait. He and his whole household were circumcised. And so it's an understanding that God's grace changes everything. And it's a life that's motivated not out of duty to perform, but out of a love and an awe and a wonder for everything God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I think it's best expressed in that hymn. I never heard it before, and some of you never heard it until I brought it here. Uh, I heard it in seminary for the very first time from John Yates Jr., who I went to seminary with. And he was leading morning prayer one time, and he, and he had us sing, Tell Out My Soul. You know? It's, it's one of my favorite hymns. It's going to be at my funeral, I promise you. You know, but this is what I believe the Lord wants for us lives as we go forth together. Hearts revived, hearts changed that sing, tell out my soul the greatness of his name. Make known his might, the deeds his arm have done. His mercy sure from age to age the same, his holy name, the Lord, the mighty one. He changes our names. He gives us hearts of stone. He gives us hearts of flesh from our heart of stone. He keeps his promises to us, ladies and gentlemen. So let's walk in this covenant. Let's pray.